It's Monday, April 12th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. How's it going, Russ? Oh, it's going. Doing pretty good here. Uh, no Tyler with us today, but I had a good fun weekend at uh, Great Wolf Lodge. And and by fun, I mean incredibly exhausting. Kate, I don't, have you been to Great Wolf Lodge? It's like 30 minutes or 20 seconds No, I have a whole story about house. this. I have a whole story. Oh, my gosh. I could talk about Great Wolf Lodge for like 30 minutes, and I've never oh my been gosh. but once for this whole thing. It's, oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. So, no, well. but yes. And we have a whole, we have a, we have a, a, a gift card to go. And anyway. I'm guessing that you booked something and then you got there and they didn't give it to you. And now you have a gift card to go and you're never going back. Now we booked it. We now we booked it and then COVID happened. And then there was this whole thing about getting it back. And then it's, it's just, it's a mess. Well, I can tell you this much. The elevators are are super backed up because of COVID. So I had to wait 35 minutes to get on an elevator to take my stuff down to the room. So I couldn't, I couldn't take it down the stairs because it was like all of our, you know, you didn't just like throw it on your back. I mean, I could have, like but you I, do this I didn't want to embarrass all of the other dads, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. in the place. But uh, it's, man, it was, it was exhausting chasing Kate around. And in the, I don't know which room y'all booked when y'all didn't go, but there was a room that One of the has jungle like a, rooms or something. Yeah. The kids yeah. cabin thing built into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, we took Kate's pack and play for her to stay in it. Okay. Man, she walked into this kid's cabin thing. Her she lost her mind. And getting like, her to go to bed that pack and play. first night was awful. So we we had an exhausting long first night and then a long day with her the next day there. So it was a lot of fun, but uh pretty tired from the weekend. I sort of feel hungover even though no alcohol was consumed. Although I guess I did have one pina colada. So so that was fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was an um, interesting experience. To say the least. Nice. Yeah, I can see that having the rooms be too interesting might be a downfall for sure. Yeah, hundred sure. percent. Okay. Yeah, way too interesting. Cool, man. Cool, cool, cool. Um, all right. Uh, this day in tech history. So we talked about it last week, uh, April eighth, nineteen eighty three. John Scully is named president and CEO of Apple after Steve Jobs convinced him to leave his position as president of of PepsiCo. All right. So he said, while Steve uh, Jobs wanted the position uh, of president for himself, then CEO Mike Mercula did not think Jobs was ready to take on that responsibility. Anyway, Steve said, let's get John Scully. That was April 8th, 1983. Fast forward two years, April 11th, 1985, almost exactly two years after joining Apple, John Scully asks Steve Jobs to step down as head of the Macintosh division uh, at a board meeting. With the backing of the company's other executives, Jobs is stripped of nearly all responsibilities at Apple. He retained the title of chairman, but had no authority and eventually left Apple. Super Ugh. awkward. Yeah. How do you how do you do that? How do you strip all responsibilities yet leave a title like chairman? Right? I, I don't know. That whole thing confused me anyways. And look, it even it proved to be, I mean, the the hiring of Sully or Scully or whatever his Scully, last name yeah. is. Is uh, ended up being very poor <laughs> for them in general. It it wasn't a good move. And then, ironically, for whatever reason, and I I don't know the specifics, they felt they needed to get rid of Steve, which was probably the worst decision they could have made. Right. They just made yeah. all sorts of terrible yeah. decisions in succession uh, at Apple for for a did, little while. There were some dark days. Did John go back to Sugarwater after he left? Eventually. Uh, I don't, I don't know, know where know. he went. We'd have to look that up. Anyway, I, I have no idea, but I, I, I like how you generalized the industry there. That was solid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing. 
that was the thing. So uh, last week when we talked about this, um, Steve Jobs went to John Scully and said, hey, do you want to make sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come help change the world? Ah, nice. Brought him over, yeah. And then John was like, eh, and John was like, yeah, know. I'll come over and then I'll fire you. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's do yeah. that. Yep. God, awkward okay. times. Yeah. All right. April 12th, this day, 1961, was the first day that a human being was in space. Whoa. Yeah. Yep. That's, Soviet cosmonaut. Uh, pretty cool. Yep. Soviets? They Soviet won? Soviet cosmonaut. Yeah. Yuri Gagarin became the first man in space. Way to go, Yuri. I'm proud of you. Yeah. He and now we're going to go to Mars. 27? What yeah. am I doing with my life? Yeah. Yep. 27. Going it's to crazy, space. Huh? Uh, well, you know, good for him. I, uh, did you ever really want to go to space? Like, was that like a, a dream of yours as mm -hmm. a kid? Like I want to go to space. Yeah. But I mean, it had already happened. Right. So yeah, I, you know, it's hard to say if I would have thought that or dreamt that having, having not known that it could happen, but I, oh, yeah, that's, that's fair. I don't think I ever actually had the, I want to be an astronaut phase of my well, childhood. I, don't, I can't say that I wanted to be an astronaut, but I wanted to go to space at some point. I think the only views of space in my mind that I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, be in Star Wars. So I wanted to be on the Millennium Falcon and, and knowing that it takes months to prepare and you can't just go jump on a ship and then just fly out there, I think probably takes away some of the allure for me. I, I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It wasn't really a thing for me, but, uh, <clears throat> but I do appreciate that we are spending time uh, exploring space more now than I felt like we moved too far away from that for a long time. And I, you know, yeah. the NASA program kind of got, I guess, initially shut down from what it was to what mm -hmm. it is now. That was very disappointing. So while I never really think I wanted to go to space, I yeah. now have interest in space and I'm glad we're exploring it. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool inventions that come from space exploration. Oh, right, yeah, and then sure. roughly 20 years later, 1981, the space shuttle Columbia was launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, becoming the first reusable manned spacecraft to travel into space. So, is that the one that looks kind of like an airplane? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So yeah. when I think about, it's like mostly yeah. white and then has like a black trim to it. Yeah, you know I'm talking about, and I it think. can land. I think I don't remember the colors of it, but yeah, I think so. It's the one I think about. I think so when I think of that, it's amazing that all that stuff happened between you know 1960 and 1980, roughly like this 20 year span where our technology was dramatically worse than it is today, and yet we just kind of felt like, and eh, no, we're good there until yeah. Elon Musk came around and started poking people. It's like, hey, we need to we need to do some stuff. So imagine where we would have been if we had just kept going down that path. I don't I don't actually know if we would have been any better or worse off, but it seems like if we would have continued to to focus on doing that, we could have had the Falcon by now. And mm. Star Wars could be real. There you go. Okay. Yeah. All right. What tech news you got today, dude? Well, the first one is from our our friends. I feel like we need to have someone from this organization on Boston Dynamics because yeah. they're one of the few companies that we times. yeah we 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 talk about them a lot, and it's usually in a relatively positive light as opposed to like Facebook, who we usually trash on. So I don't think my twin Mark is ever going to come on. I'd still talk to Facebook. I mean, I'd be happy to have him on. Yeah, you know, so on. we can actually meet face to face. So come on, Mark, questions. if you want to do it. Uh, but Boston Dynamics, uh, so we've seen the robot dog, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the robot dog has been taught a new trick. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's not fetch, is it? 
It, unfortunately not. This is this is actually this could be a pro and a con because the way it's represented is actually kind of funny. But what it's doing is, is it, it's it's serving you beer. So it can serve you beer on command. But the way it does it is by peeing it. So oh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it says Boston Dynamics robot dog oh spot gosh. has been taught to pee beer on command is the headline from the verge. No. What? <laughs> yeah. What? That's what it says. 100%. And they have uh, I got to look this they up. They have a little video and a gif of it and it shows it going and standing over a red solo cup and then peeing into the red solo cup. Oh, uh, it's, you know, marginally successful at what it's doing as it looks like. Two oh, engineers are- oh, I know this guy, Michael Reeves. Is that is that the one that did it? Uh, it looks like it says video by Michael Reeves YouTube. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a, this, is a fa- this is a famous YouTuber. I don't know who he is. So. OK. All right. So this makes more sense. <laughs> okay, this makes more sense now. So uh, Michael Reeves is, a, is just genius. Um, but what he does is he takes suggestions from his uh, his YouTube following. They basically tell him, "Hey, you should create this," and then he does it. Like, okay, uh, there, there's, um, but it's just they're all like really dumb ideas. He takes the dumbest ideas and then he makes them, and then he makes fun of you for giving him the idea. It's <laughs> that's a pretty his, that's his that's his stick. whole stick. Yes, yes, <laughs> and he has six million subscribers on YouTube. And the robot peeing or the robot dog peeing beer is number 14 on trending on YouTube. 6.2 million views uh, uploaded three days ago. Uh, yeah, this guy, he, well, oh good man, for there's him. some pretty crazy ones. Um, there was one that was like, uh, create a table that shocks you every time you lean on it or something like that. And so it's just, yeah, it gets pretty crazy. Anyway, uh, not a family friendly show. Um, so, you know, definitely don't fire it up with your, uh, your youngins. So he uses some colorful language, and uh, <laughs> but it's hilarious. So okay, well the gif that's, of that's it's pretty, pretty funny. funny. I, I would imagine so. Oh man, okay, wow, all right, yeah, that makes more sense putting two and two together. So you imagine my shock not knowing who this person is. So I'm just uh, right. like, why? <laughs> what? What? Why did this happen? And now exactly. I get it. A, a random internet request is is basically why this happened. Yeah, is, is that's I'm the whole getting. point of his show is is the whys. Uh, so one of the funniest ones that he has a year ago, he uploaded one. It's got 21 million views. The room, the Roomba that screams when it bumps into stuff. So basically, what <laughs> what they what somebody said is anytime Roomba runs into the wall, it needs to shout a cuss word. Basically, oh, <laughs> so God. Just, yeah. Oh yeah. man, I'll have to I'll have to look that one up. Yeah. So he basically takes all these uh, takes all these terrible ideas and turns them into videos. But uh, okay. Uh, but I mean, he he's he his skills are in uh, you know electronics and robotics and programming. And he spends a ton of time doing these things, a ton of time. So he's basically what Tyler would be if he was a YouTuber who had a lot of time. Correct. Yeah. Yes. That's actually, that's actually really accurate. (laughs) That's actually really accurate. This would be Tyler if, uh, if he was in a different career. All right. Uh, What else we got? What else we got on the docket? Did you see the clubhouse leak? Um, Yeah, but I think it's the same as the LinkedIn one. Right. So, well, so, so you had the Facebook one that was uh-huh. the, the contact importer, um, uh, basically leveraging it. Um, uh, God, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? 
I don't know, whatever. I don't know. They were Something taking advantage of, uh, of vulnerability. Vulnerability is the word I was looking at. Yeah. There you go. Got it. Um, so LinkedIn was 500 million people or something like that. But all they were doing was scraping yeah. public information. I saw the Clubhouse one. And how many people did they say? Like 1.3 million people or something? Yeah, somewhere but around 1.3. Clubhouse 3. is saying it's just public information. So right. Don't, that's, that's don't what get I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get it confused. But I wonder why people are doing this. I, what's I the advantage no in scraping? I mean, data is data, right? And you can analyze it. And I guess one of two ways. things, maybe either one, they're trying to just say they have all of the sensitive information and sell it, even though it's publicly available already. Are they saying it's sensitive though? The club I don't one? know. I mean, why would you yeah. be scraping it? Otherwise I have no idea. Yeah. So it's like, maybe they're trying to do that. Um, and then maybe the other side of it is, is, maybe this information is the link in a chain that they don't have for some other data they have. I, I don't know. Yeah. I see what you're but saying. <clears throat> that's kind of, but it, the point that I was going to make was that I saw headlines of leaked data, this leaked data that, and then their CEO came out and said, well, that's what's concerning me. That a report of a breach is false. Like this did right. not happen. And so it's, it sounds to me uh, not, I mean, I love the verge and a lot of others. It sounds like poor reporting. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. literally here's the data from the clubhouse one. Right. And, and that's the problem. So it's not even the verge it's, it's everywhere. So go to cybernews.com and, and you, and it says clubhouse data leak 1.3 million scraped user records leaked online for free. Right. This was published two days ago. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. What was leaked? The user name, their photo, their Twitter handle, which is connected, their Instagram handle, which is connected, their number of follows followers, number of people followed by the user account creation date. Well, maybe if I can like, get all people to follow me on Twitter, you know, then there's some benefit to this for me. I'm assuming that my name is is in here. I'm on LinkedIn, and well, I'm not yeah. on Clubhouse, but yeah, uh, but I am on LinkedIn. So yeah, I mean, they're saying that the data from these leaked files, which again, it's not. I mean, gosh, it's just really weird line where okay, yes, they have 1.3 million of these, but a single person without any without any sort of programs or anything can just go and click on various profiles and just write this stuff down and put it in a database. They just made it a little bit faster because it's all public. Right. They're saying that the data uh, can be used by threat actors against clubhouse users by carrying out targeted phishing or other types of social engineering attacks. Which is happening all day, every yeah. day. Yeah. Anyways, unfortunately it drives me crazy that that industry is as big as it is, but the reality yeah. is, is they're, they're making money. So but they need a different term for this, man. It's not a, I wouldn't say I agree. it's a data leak. I, I think know. scraped would be the yeah. other term. Yeah. Right. Cause you're just pulling it off the publicly available website. Yeah. But I like mean, yeah, if, if we, if we stuck to the theme of security, uh, there was the Facebook, cause Facebook had one recently, right? Facebook had it. LinkedIn had it. And then the Facebook one was bad. That was an actual, yeah. Actual leak. Right. Yes. Yes. Because that's <clears> users, <throat> phone numbers and stuff like that, which is not publicly yep. available. And uh, so you're right. So that one's bad. How much money do you think is spent every year trying to secure Mark Zuckerberg? Trying to secure him? Does he yes. not just live inside his alien spacecraft? He very well may, but that has a cost associated with it. Mm, yes. Mm, how much money do I think to secure him? I'll say I'll say north of a hundred million dollars. 
Oof, that was that's that's pricey. <laughs> this this is still a big number, but not not north of a hundred million. Okay. So it says it says Facebook spent twenty three million dollars for CEO Mark Zuckerberg's security in twenty twenty. He has also allotted an additional ten million to put towards security personnel and other security costs. That twenty three million is so that, like but digital that's Facebook, security. Though. That's just Facebook. So that's Facebook giving him would you say twenty three million plus another ten million for in person? Correct. So 33 million. He could be spending another, you know, 15, 20, 70 million to get to my 100 million. He most certainly could. I mean, he could he could definitely be taking his own money and stretching yeah. that further for him and his wife. But it's just crazy because and their, their is, point is, is that negative sentiment regarding the company of Facebook is pretty much always transferred directly towards Zuckerberg. And so, that because of that, they over they over invest into him yeah. directly to try and protect him in in some way, shape, or form. That is pretty interesting. Why do you suppose that is? Is it uh, I mean, head of so, the snake? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, this is just interesting. I guess. I mean, I, there's like movies about him. He's yeah. I don't know. I think That's you have really to you have to look at it from a couple different angles. You got sort of the 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 nature with which. Facebook got started. It's it's like a legendary story of right. you know being in his dorm room, starting it as a college only thing, and building it and stealing it from the Winklevoss twins or whatever. That's right. <laughs> and and then you also have the other side of this, which is and maybe this is an American culture thing. I'm I'm not real sure, but if you look at I don't know, just look at anything really. In corporate America, for instance, or not even corporate. You look at sports. So in college, whenever there's some horrible recruiting violation thing that goes on or something that players do that's stupid, the head coach gets fired. Even yeah. though these other people yeah. are doing these things because he's ultimately responsible for the entirety of the program. So when Facebook goes and does X bad thing, the liability from a public opinion perspective is going to be on the creator, the CEO, whatever, you know, whatever his title is. So yeah, that's probably what I think a lot of this is, is that anything bad with Facebook happens only if Mark says it can, and we're going to direct everything at him. That's, that's I what see. I assume is sort of the yeah. public opinion and approach to it. Is, is his, I mean, is his, so you said like the 20 million is all just like digital stuff, right? That, yeah. I, I get the idea that that's kind of the idea that they're, um, explicitly talking about protecting his digital self. Yeah. The other 10 million is yeah. like his physical security, like having bodyguards yeah. around him if he goes places. Yeah. I I can't, I mean, people are crazy, but I can't imagine anybody like, uh, whatever, I don't know. Do people wish, I mean, is that a thing on the internet? Do people, are people wishing to be bringing violence to him? I mean, that's, let's let's not ever wonder if it's a thing on the internet. Yeah, yeah, because sure, if, sure. if it's a that thing, means it is. Yeah. it's on the internet. I don't know. I guess I just don't get that. Uh, I, I don't even I don't even like saying that because I don't even want to put that thought. Like, right. You don't want to put it out there. Yeah, you I don't, don't want to put it in the world. But I don't know. I guess I just I, don't interpret. Like in my mind, people can see it is a unique thing in my mind that people would see Facebook. If they see it in a negative light, then they then see Zuck in a negative light rather than Facebook. And you don't get that parallel in a lot of other companies, right? Right. But I don't see the, like, there's just not people clamoring in the street to like, you know, bring down Zuck, I guess. Is there true? I mean, if you look at, if you look at other big tech, I I just, I think that 
I think that Zuckerberg is for for whatever reason he's such a more known entity probably because he's his business is B2C for sure. the most part, right? Yeah. And so it's like I think because of that there's the there's the traditional consumer element to this where you're dealing with the general public. Whereas sure. if you look at like Sundar Pakai, mm-hmm. right, the CEO of Google or is it mm-hmm. Alphabet? I think it's Google. Um, Google is hated all the time as well by a sure. lot of different people. They're you know, tracking and privacy and all this. They're, they're always under scrutiny of that. But I never hear anything about Sundar. Right. In fact, almost the only things I hear about Sundar are that he's, that he's a great leader. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so part it's, of it's my... interesting that it doesn't happen to him, but it yeah. does happen to Zuckerberg. And I, and I just I wonder if it's because people explicitly make a Facebook account and they interact with Facebook as a as sort of a product. And I don't think people even think about the fact that they leverage Google every day. Mm, that's an it's, interesting it's, concept. Yeah. It's just a guess. I, I have no idea, but it's just yeah. something I, I've well, observed. Yeah. Google does a lot more than just a search engine, but people don't tend to hate a search engine and then turn around and connect that to a CEO. Right. I mean, even mm. think Steve Jobs and Apple, people have an affinity for their Apple products and then they tie everything back to Steve Jobs. Yeah. Right. Or, or you know, yeah. I don't know if Tim Cook gets unique. the same treatment or not because he isn't quite as, uh, I don't know, his, yeah. his personality isn't as robust, but yeah, there's just the an same. element of that that I, I think that plays into this is the, the traditional mm. consumer and, and how they interact with the product and how big it is in their life and yeah, then yeah. the news sure. articles that come out about it. So I don't know. It's just an interesting thing, but you know, they, they clearly recognize it as they're allocating over $30 million to potential security in some way, shape or form yeah, to yeah. him, which is, you know, pretty crazy. It's also a drop in the bucket for Facebook yeah. candidly. Yeah. So okay. speaking of Google, let's talk mm-hmm. about Google and Oracle. Okay. Let's get into this a little okay, bit. Teach me. Um, I know nothing. See. It. We're at eight forty-two at this moment, um, mm-hmm. so maybe ten, fifteen minutes here, uh, if if it warrants it. So, what do you know about Google versus Oracle as it stands right now? I haven't looked at anything uh, recently, but uh, I, I did follow it pretty closely. I know nothing. For, I grabbed some notes. While. I dropped it in the thing that I saw. Um, somebody shared a breakdown of it, so I just copied it in there, and I haven't read it yet, though. Okay. So first of I'm all, intrigued. at the end of the day, Google won. So what happened is, is okay. I don't remember the year. It's probably in this thing. Maybe it is somewhere. I don't see it, but I'll just go off memory. Somewhere around 2009, 2010, like shortly after Android, I think was really made public to, to customers because Android's existed since like 2004, but I don't think it was productized and, and actually being sold and used on phones, although Android is not technically sold uh, until 2008 or nine. I could be wrong on that, but somewhere in that range, that's when it was. And then after that time period, Oracle bought Java from Mm -hmm. Sun Microsystems. Java, which is and was a, uh, or at least originally, a free open source product. Sure. Uh, Free as in whatever usage not as in beer sort of thing uh and so it was a it was a it was an interesting thing because within i think six months to a year of oracle buying them oracle had a suit ready to go to sue google for what it thought was copyright infringement on java's use inside of the android open source project i say that because android is an open source project that is then used on phones google does not sell 
the Android operating system. Um, mm -hmm. Although if you do want to have Google Play services, you do have to you have to adhere to certain elements of the way your Android is managed and maintained with the different users, whether it's Samsung or Oppo or Xiaomi, whoever is making the phone, they have to follow these things. So that was the premise was Google created Android. Android generated a lot of money for Google. And we are owed royalties based off of that because we own Java. Because that was that Android, was the, the OS used some of the code of Java platform. Correct. Okay. Which Got to it. this Understood. day, I'm with you. Pretty sure it still does. Yeah. The the critical part of this is that it was not about just one-to-one -one leveraging of Java. They leveraged the APIs. Mm. So it was That's a they, step further for sure. It is a step. It, it's so well, they leveraged the APIs, meaning that this suit was about copyright infringement on APIs, which if you know, for those who don't know, I was a software developer actually around this time before I moved into sort of working in infrastructure. So an API and its associated libraries and everything that you have within different programming languages or, or products or whatever it is, they are, they are reusable. They're extensible. They're things that we do, we use to make other technologies communicate together. Yeah, application programming interface for those that may not know yep. what an API is. 100%. Yeah. And so with those APIs- It basically allows two things to talk to each other. It's I a per down to perfect the way. Thing. 100%. That is absolutely yeah. perfect way of putting it. That is what this suit was over because okay. that is what uh, Google used. They basically used the declaring or declarative parts of Java, which is what an API is. Mm -hmm. You describe something, it interacts with it based on that description. There's two parts though of applications. There's the, the declaring part and there's the implementing part. The implementing part is the is the thing that you usually write explicit code for functionality of a specific program. The declaring part is just that connecting tissue. So they didn't use any implementing parts of Java. They used the declaring parts of Java, just the API. And if you were to have ruled in Oracle's favor for this, it would have upset the balance of software creation and distribution yeah. across the entire industry. Because yeah. everyone does what Google did under the assumption of fair use. And that was what Google argued the entire time. And there were actually multiple different instances where I think in the uh, court circuit where they actually ruled in favor of Oracle. And mm. there were appeals and they were overturned two or three times before it eventually got to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Google, which is where we are today. This yeah. took 11 years. Oh my goodness. Something like that. Yeah. Over 10. It was over a decade. That much I know yeah. for sure. And so. But now you have a Supreme Court ruling to fall back on anytime this stuff happens. That's a win for the good guys, right? It is. And you know what's interesting? You know what's really interesting about this is. Um, and I don't mean Google. I mean, it's a win for the situation that you thought. It about. is a win for the situation. And, and that fallback is important because what they're. I think most people would say, well, it sets a precedent, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Precedents for, for this to be the case if other cases come up. What they didn't do here is rule as a blanket coverall statement that all APIs are fair use. Okay. So it, it does not, it is not stating a statute that That's says- That's probably good. 
it, it probably is. I think yeah. I would agree. Uh, it, it's it's difficult because it is going to put into a situation where we're probably going to see more court cases like this again, where they're going to have to argue it. And then now, granted, they'll be able to reference back Google versus Oracle and say, hey, in this particular case, this is how it was used. And it was ruled in the favor of Google. And so if you're following that same sort of approach or guidelines, I'm sure more often than not, you will win out in that case. But I imagine that just with the changing landscape of the way software affects everything and and the way development practices are changing, that there is an element of this uh, that they wanted to make sure would be up for interpretation again down the line to protect yeah. software developers and IP rights and, and stuff like that that's, that's going on. So that that's the whole premise of all of this. But I cannot stress enough how unbelievably important it is that Google won this particular yeah. battle. And, and I've, se I've seen some people on the other side of it, by the way, just on Twitter, they've said, well, does that mean that if I go write some code that Google can just take whatever I want and do yeah, that was That was where my question was going to go. I, was, I wanted to clarify one thing and then I wanted to go there. Sure. Um, so they the ruling, if I'm following you correctly, there's no, there's no kind of like a blanket, um, sort of copyright feel for all the for all APIs, right? That's not how they ruled. They so the this inverse, could run they in, right yeah. in so the, the inverse they didn't do a broad like everything is up for grabs as well. Right, they didn't yeah. do. There's two things they could have done. Right, they okay. could have said APIs are broadly completely copyrighted, which would have stifled sure. the ability to develop software and to innovate and do all the things right. that we do. Yeah. On the other side of it, they could have said, you cannot copyright APIs ever moving forward at any point in time. Right. Which they did not say. Which they did not say. So okay. neither That's one of I those things clarify happened. both of those. Okay, cool. They ruled, as, as I read it, and you have to recognize I'm not a lawyer, um, but the, the way I saw the ruling was they explicitly ruled on this case and okay. not over the idea of APIs being copyrighted or not. I got you. But in so this case, they said this the is fair use. Yeah, they're taking into account the players, what happened, how much of the code of the Java platform they took, what they used it on within the Android operating system, how they used it, how many things were sold, all this kind of stuff. Whether or not that was critical to the Android OS platform being as successful as it was, right? They took in all of that and then made the ruling. Exactly, a hundred percent. That was, cool. and, and they even I saw some. Cool. I was, I was perusing it. your notes here. Google copied 0.4% of Java's 2.9 million lines of code. So it was... Uh, oh, okay. They used a relatively small portion, percentage-wise, uh, of the code with the way that they, they ultimately built this. So let's sure. talk about how this affects people who write code and, mm -hmm. and whether or not this is going to allow other people just to freely use their stuff. The answer is no. No. And, and there's it shouldn't. And there's there's a couple different ways that you can sort of develop and then release software. One, you could go how Java did the original. Java is like the original form of Kubernetes. It was it was meant to run on anything. It, that was sort of the idea. It never came to fruition, but it, it did a decent job of it at the time. The other part of it that was very important to it, much like Kubernetes, is that it was open source based on one of the GPL license frameworks. I, I have no idea which one to ask Richard Stallman. But the uh, <clears throat> the thing that's interesting here is that that was the premise of Java. And you could release software under a million different sort of licensing frameworks that are open source that mm -hmm. determine the way software can be used under those 
rules or those guidelines, the restrictions around them. So that's number one. If you're going to release open source software, no, it's probably going to be used and modified within the confines of whatever your licensing agreements are under mm-hmm. GPLs two or three or uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a couple other ones out yeah, there. Yeah, I think they have three versions. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And so with with that in mind, there's that. Or you can cl- use closed source software, meaning you could make it to where you only see any of your... I've never heard that term, I don't think. Oh, it's like uh, software and open source. I've never heard the term closed source software. So <laughs> that's what I... <laughs> It's a thing, though. Closed source. No, so for win- sure. Yeah, for Win- sure. Windows for sure. is closed source. I know, but I would yeah. never. Yeah, it's kind of funny. If I was, if I was like a super open source bigot, then every time I'm talking about non open source software, I would call them closed source software. Which is, which is Just what they do. Because it sounds negative, you know. Yeah, it's just what they do. Hundred okay, percent. Right, right. yeah. yeah. If you talk <laughs> to any anyone in the space, I mean, I just said it because I guess maybe I am an open source sort of person, just in general. But closed source software is is the exact opposite of that. So you can do that. And there, so here's the problem. Maybe I have heard of that. I don't if know. you that if you cool. don't make your APIs extensible, meaning accessible to other things mm-hmm. to communicate, then your software, open or not, first of all, you're a jerk. Yeah, first of all, you're a jerk. Second think of about all, you ain't think going about, nowhere. Hundred percent. That yeah. right there. So think about your role as a product manager, right? Working in technology, and right. if you just closed off. API access to all of the products that you work on at Dell Technologies. Then all of a sudden, the entire ecosystem of enterprise technology support could not integrate with the products that you work on. Who would buy that? Right. That's the point. You win in software by making it as open as possible, by easily accessible as possible, by having great documentation, by great community support, all the kind of stuff. When it it gets adopted, you win. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's, that's it. You can't get adopted if you lock stuff down and make things prior. Uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, proprietary, not priority. Yep. Proprietary. And, and if you do that under the guise of, well, I want to make my APIs extensible, but copyright them and make people pay license fees. Yeah. That's wonderful. At this point in time in software development, you're probably not going to get away with that if you're most companies or most pieces yeah, yeah. of software because we're at a point where people do, will just go more a more standard route or create things themselves or, or do whatever. And let me need. correct myself. I said you can't win if you're not open. That's not true, but it take that with a grain of salt in the general sense. you know, If you want to win in something new that's being created, you want industry adoption, you want things to be open, et cetera, which reminded me um, Kieran came on the show on Friday. He wanted to talk with you and get your take on the, I, there was some sort of news article on iMessage on Android, some sort of debate, I guess maybe Apple was blocking that or so. I don't know what happened. Did you see that? I, it's possible. Never mind. It's, we can come it's back possible. I did. Uh, I read something over the weekend or maybe it was on Friday that stated that there were some articles that released <clears throat> that said from internal article or, or internal emails from, from Apple that were released stating that they had considered the idea of putting iMessage on Android back in 2011 or 2013, and that they ultimately decided that it would hurt them more than it would help them. Is that? Yes, that's exactly what the article is. I'm just pulling it up here. Yeah, this was on The Verge three days ago. Apple says iMessage on Android, quote, will hurt us more than help us. Yeah. So I I think, so the premise there is, look, if you look at the way oh, Apple Epic has, was arguing as part of Apple's lock-in strategy as correct. well. Correct. That was a big, which look, it is. Yeah. And, and that's not, look, I, I don't like it because I believe that it causes a lot of problems in something that I believe should be standardized. You don't so like what? I, you don't like iMessage existing? 
No, no, iMessage is fine. I don't like the fact that they don't allow for other people yes. to be able to integrate with it, to be able to do cross-platform, mm-hmm. secure, rich media messaging. Mm-hmm. And so what I have argued for, uh, and I feel like Nicholson would have a, a counterpoint to this because him and I have talked a little bit about the way um, some of these protocols have worked in the past. But uh, I would like for RCS, which I think is Rich Communication Services or something, uh, which develop, I don't know if it's developed or spearheaded by Google, one of the two. It's basically a replacement for SMS and MMS, which is our default fallback. So if you look at what mm-hmm. iMessage does today, if you text me, because I have an Android phone, you have an iPhone. If you text mm-hmm. me, and if it wasn't going to go through Telegram, it would go through SMS or MMS, depending on what it was that you were sending right. me. Yeah, That is a horrible, horrible standard from the 90s. I mean, it, right, it, like exactly. it... It, it yeah. needs to be gone. And so I very much so people make fun of Google all the time for them, you know, the way they've managed messaging systems and but they don't make them Sundar, stuff. make fun of Sundar. They don't make fun of Sundar. We don't what, get it. Like, what, that's the problem. Well, like, come on. I don't get <clears> it. I'm not asking on? for. Yeah. Don't make. Yeah. I'm not saying go make fun of him. I'm just trying to. Connect well, why are you making fun of brains. Mark? Leave Mark alone, bro. I, I think it's just that it's the people that are on Facebook, man. It, it probably it's is the people, the people that are on Facebook. <laughs> I'm um, alienating our, our oh no. 200 listeners. <laughs> it's it's going to be a problem. And so <laughs> what I, you know, I like the approach of what Google did was kidding, try to go to the carriers and try to work to create a standard to replace SMS and MMS that could function much more like the traditional chat programs that we use uh, external to the default. So uh, iMessage, I guess, is a default on iPhone, but like say WhatsApp or Signal or Telegram or whatever it might be. Yeah. The problem here is, is that this is only an issue really in the United States. Because right. in, in other, the rest of the world, people use WhatsApp, for instance, yeah. or, or Telegram or Signal. They don't, they don't use they don't the use, yeah. default SMS program there. They don't use iMessage as their default. Like, that's not what they did. So what what Apple did a really good job of was say, let's create a really good experience for I Apple can, users to communicate with each other through their right. default messaging program. And that that became sort of that lock-in mechanism for for a lot of people. I just have it, to in in Tyler's honor say the words walled garden because he would be saying right now. <laughs> the walled the walled garden. Hey, so we're all about I would like time. to see, I have another question for you. Oh, yeah, well, go ahead. real quick. All I would like to see from Apple and we Tim, please feel free come on the show yeah is i would like to see them support rcs as the fallback mechanism before they fell back to sms or mms which is a protocol mm-hmm. they could absolutely implement i guarantee it more of the issue is really on the carriers but you can implement it even without that google's done it in multiple countries in fact i think australia sure. is one of them so that that's that's my issue is that they're not allowing us to be able to have better interactions across platform because they're trying to force their proprietary closed source approach to messaging. And in every, and everyone views that as like, it's funny because people say, well, you should buy an iPhone because iMessage is great. Whereas my viewpoint is iMessage is a problem because they aren't supporting an open standard for default communication. Like Mm -hmm. this, this is, you shouldn't support that. That yeah. is bad behavior to support, in in my opinion. So understood, understood. Um, we should get Tim Davis on here to argue about that as well. Yeah, bring it on, Tim Davis. Although I can't be on the show 
same time he's on the show. So <laughs> I don't know right. how we That's work right. that. It may have to be asynchronous argumentation. All right. Uh, so here, this last one, and then I think we've got to shut it down. Um, yep. I saw Google's shopping app is out of business. I didn't know Google had a shopping app. Maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, I know <laughs> you can go to Google and search for something, and then it will say, hey, you can find these things. You can buy them here or there or whatever. Um, but yeah, they're shutting down the shopping application due to redundancy with what users can already do with the shopping tab online. See, okay, so that makes sense because that's what I thought it was. I didn't realize it was a separate application. Have you ever used the shopping tab? Uh, very rarely, very rarely. Usually what will happen is I go there to double check on prices occasionally for various things, right? Like if I'm trying to buy a washing machine or something and I'm sure it's something I don't normally buy regularly and I want to see what else is out there, I'll hit up a few different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I'll go hit Google shopping to see what Google says for washing machines. Maybe I will now, but I have never used that tab okay. before. Um, I think the only tabs that I make use of is like images and then the normal default Google search. So I, yeah. maybe I need to use more of those tabs, but I also did not know they had a shopping app. Yeah. But yeah, you can go to, yeah, just go Google something like washing machine. Like I was just saying, click the shopping tab and then you'll see tons of washing machines up there. You know, bring up a bunch of stuff from Lowe's. You can get a general feel for pricing. You can sort by brand. You can sort by price, things that are nearby, sort by max load volume, uh, loading method, top load. I mean, there's, there's intelligence in there. It understands what the product is that you're looking at and how you might want to sort it. I didn't realize there was a separate application, I guess. For the first time. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever done it. Congratulations! Welcome it to looks it looks wonderful. I'm gonna to the future. Think maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna start using this more. Okay, maybe I don't know. I'll let maybe. I'll let you know. I'll give an update on the show if I buy something through using the shopping tab. Okay, that? yeah, it's a big <laughs> news. This is a big day today. Like I said, we have to document everything we're doing because we're making history. On this making show. history. All right. Well, with that, we'll shut it down. There's no more app though. So if you have the app, meh, whatever. I just guess go to Google and. Uh, you can continue by shopping.google.com. If you just want to bookmark that, if you're addicted to it, um, if that's how you shop, I don't mean it in like a negative term, but if that's how you shop. So, all right, yeah, that's so all I got. That's uh, we're going to, we're going to kill this show. Just like Google killed the uh, everything The yeah, everything go, go to killed by google.com. It's, it's a fun read. There's a whole bunch of things you'll, you'll never know about on there, uh, but this is being added to it. So that'll do it for another episode of the tech breakfast podcast. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, share, tweet, ask questions, come on the show. Uh, Tim Cook, especially, come on the show. Mark, come on. Let's talk about that. Zuck, 30, let's go. We want to $3 million you, dollar security budget. Uh, I need to figure out how I can increase my own. And uh, that'll do it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all later. <laughs> Peace. Later.